2: And let's start off with a word from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is in full swing and college basketball heats up as the schools make their way to the NCAA tournament. The tournament is coming and so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Challenge as BetOnline is the spot for all of your bracketology needs. Personally, I would put my money on Gonzaga or Baylor against the field. One of those two teams I don't think you can go wrong with. But BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Uh, later in this episode, we're going to be joined by Patrick Crossan, the coach or team manager for Wizards District Gaming, the monumental sports NBA 2K League team. They are the reigning champions, so the most successful current team uh, in the D.C. area in terms of basketball. So check that out. We'll, we'll lead into that in a little bit. Uh, Larry, just sort of to recap, since the last time we talked, the Wizards lost you know, a competitive game to the Bucks, 133 to 122. Dropped a heartbreaker to the Kings. De'Aaron Fox hitting, a, you know, a buzzer beater basically over Bradley Beal. So it was a 121-119 loss. They came back from that and, and beat the Utah Jazz, the best team in the NBA right now, pretty solidly, I'd say. And then, you know, were competitive for most of the game against the the Brooklyn Nets. Um, dropped a close one there. What did you see during that stretch, uh, good or bad?
1: Uh, well, I think it's, it's consistent with the kind of the up and down play and, you know, just the obviously on, on the defensive side of the ball. I think when you give, you know, you're give giving up, you know, in the high 120s, you know, to the 130s, you know, with Brad Beal and obviously with Westbrook, once he, you know, he gets rolling, I mean, you can score that many points, but it's going to be tough to win a ball game uh, when you allow your opponents to get up into the high 120s to, you know, 130 points. That's going to be tough for them. And that's really what I see. They keep the game uh, pretty close. They're in that, you know, 100, 115. They almost always have a chance to win, you know, in the last couple minutes. Um, so that's what we're looking for is being more sound on defense. And, again, it's just pretty much that same sort of roller coaster that we've been on uh, for the entire year of, of playing well through spurts and, and obviously stepping up to those big-name teams that come into the arena uh, playing well against those guys, but it's just been an inconsistent uh, week as it's been you know throughout the season.
2: Uh, the, the team will be without Davis-Bertons, I want to say, due to a calf injury for the next two weeks. So I obviously never want anyone to get injured, and, and I don't mean this to, to sound that way, but uh, they they have inserted Bonga sort of into those Davis-Bertons minutes, and the defense did look a little bit better last night. So I think maybe there's something to having another six foot eight, six foot nine long athletic guy, you know, to throw out there at
1: teams. I I do. I mean, we, we talked about this Is I mean, having that defensive presence, I mean, you have, you know, if not the top score in the league, one of the top three scorers in the league on your team that can get you half a hundred. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my, your focus has to be on the guys that you can surround to get more stops because you know if you give that guy the ball, um, he's going to get you some sort of bucket and he's going to score points for you in a, a, a number of different ways. So that's where my focus would be is to really a defensive presence and not be so concerned with those guys that are playing defense if they're necessarily making or missing shots. That's, you know, that's, that's what I think is going to be the best you know, best track for the rest of the season.
2: And like we talked about either last week or the week before for somebody like bonga, the more he plays, the more I think those shots are going to start to fall and, and hopefully that that's the way that plays out. But, um, they realistically were like maybe three or four total possessions away from being three and one over that stretch. So I think there are some good takeaways. Uh, I think the most positive part of that's been the play of Rui Hachimura. So over the last five games, he's averaging 20 points, nine rebounds, 1.2 steals. Uh, almost 60% from the field and almost 50% from three and playing pretty good defense. Like if they can get that Rui for the rest of the year, I think they're, they're much more likely to make some noise.
1: Well, if we, we roll our podcast back, you know, a couple episodes, and that's really when we talked about, you know, kind of the scoring and and what what Hachi could bring to the table as far as points, you know, averaging uh, the, the number of points he could average or should average. I had him right there in that 20 spot. I mean, in, in order for that team to be successful, he's going to have to be that, you know, kind of that hybrid third scorer because he's not going to score, you know, 25 to 30, mm-hmm. you know. So you'll need something to, to bump up against that with a 10 or 15, you know, each night. Um, so I definitely like what he's been doing and that conversation about, you know, those guys getting together in the locker room and figuring out what their roles were and how they're going to compete. He's really taken advantage of, of that conversation. I think Bertine took advantage of that conversation as well. Now, because his shot selection has been, you know, night and day from the start of the season. And I'm, I'm sure, I haven't looked at the percentages, but I'm sure his percentages are, are much, much better because of the shots that he's taken. So I think that they have things to build on. And we talk about the offensive side of the ball, but, you know, that arrow still is going to swing to the defensive side of the ball, and we have to figure that out.
2: And, you know, we talked all about all the conditions that sort of, we're going against them to start the year, you know, the the injuries and and the COVID related issues and integrating a piece like Ross in a year where you don't have a training camp. And, and despite that, you know, the record that they have, they did that against the fifth toughest strength of schedule through the first 41 games. Uh, apparently they have the second easiest remaining schedule in the league. You know, Larry, when you see that as a player like, does that really give you some juice or like to be like, OK, you know, it is somewhat downhill from here. Like we have a chance to pick up some steam.
1: Yeah, I do. I think, you know, in the NBA it's that fine line of winning and losing games and any opportunity that you're given to have a shot like that gives you energy. That gives you juice to, to really attack that opportunity, um, you know, with focus. I mean, that's that's just a part of playing so many games, You know, so many good players within the league. Uh, you know you have teams that'll make the playoffs one year and, and struggle to make the playoffs the next year, so at any time that you're offered that opportunity where you see some of that light, I think it does you know give you a, a more of a focus to to attack uh, that opportunity to see what happens
2: and we talked a lot last time about the sort of flip flopped record they have where they 've been better against the good teams and uh, worse against the weaker teams but uh, i don't put any stock in that for the second half I, I think you would still much rather see the teams with the lesser
1: records right. Yeah, you got to lock in now, right? You got to lock in. I mean, for any you know any excuse, there, there there's a reason reason for that, I and mean, why we're not playing good against the you know the the teams that are not as good you know in the league, or why we play great against teams that are you know so much ahead of everybody in the league. But when you get to the second half of the season, it's you're you're right. It's about the opportunity that's in front of you, and you can't give up one single game to a lesser or you know, a team that's perceived to be above you. I mean, you have to play all of those games really the same way uh, in order to have a chance.
2: I felt like every time we were in here at the end of the episode, I would say, all right, here's the upcoming slate. We've got the Jazz, Lakers, Bucks, and Sixers. Um, So flip-flopping that a little bit, uh, their next four games, you know, between now and when we record next, uh, they have the Knicks on Tuesday night, the Knicks on Thursday night, and the Pistons on Saturday night obviously the Knicks have been a scrappier, tougher bunch this year, but, you know, still a very winnable game. And 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 that's, I think the, I would have to do the math here and really look into this. But when you play the same team back to back like that, I it seems like there's been a lot of splits. Um, so, you know, th- that Pistons game is maybe the big one. And if you can come out of there two and one, I think that that would be a pretty good takeaway for the week.
1: Yeah, and like you said, if you look at the standings, obviously you know that the Knicks are fighting for, you know, the spot in, in the playoffs. And obviously Detroit, they're kind of all over the place. So that is a game that you identify because essentially you and the Knicks are shooting for the same bucket, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're shooting for the same opportunity. So to have an opportunity to play two games, and you're right, I mean, it's tough to beat an NBA game, excuse me, an NBA team, you know, twice in that sort of scenario of almost back-to-back. Uh, that, that's a tough way to go. But if you can pull that out, right, because you know that you're fighting with this group, I mean, for the same sort of opportunity, then that's a game that you want to win. And you want to do everything possible to come out 3-0 and uh, this week. I mean, with the, with the season coming to a close, I mean, you want to obviously win the games that you're, you think you're supposed to win, but definitely win the games that, against the teams that are shooting for that same bucket that you are. Uh, that's going to go a long way.
2: I know the entire NBA season is a grind, but is this also the point in the season, though, where you start to like, you know, the little nagging injuries start to really sort of um, accrue and and you're feeling it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, they didn't have, obviously, the the play-in situation when when I was playing. So you you start to identify those teams that are, you know, planning those vacations and and Mm -hmm. doing those things. So depending on, you know, where you had those guys coming in at, your schedule could look a little bit different because you know – that there is no opportunity for a play-in situation. So these guys are already, you know, planning for their summer vacation. So that game becomes even a little bit more easier because they're not going to fight to the end. I mean, they're going to give you a fight. But, yeah, I mean, these are, this is a time where you, you just really lock in if you have an opportunity, if you have a chance, if you don't want to be in the lottery, um, if, if your fan base is, is asking for certain things, if, if your management is asking for certain things, this is a time where you lock in and really give yourself a chance to make it to the playoffs. And if you don't make it to the playoffs, give yourself something to build on going into the offseason. And it's not, um, you know, we're just going to finish the season now. You have to have something to build on.
2: And now a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you've been looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing, With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Here's something you don't know about me. I don't sleep well, but I'm really good at staying awake and staring at my ceiling. So I'm always looking for new ways to get my shit together. My head hits the pillow and bam, my mind races to what I didn't do, what I need to do, yada yada. Relatable? Yeah, it sucks. Fortunately, I found Sunday Scaries and realized they make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like me. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help me decompress, clear my head, and fall asleep so I can actually wake up a fully functioning human being. And there's no risk to try. The company offers a 100% lifetime money back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries, in the stress relieving business, not the stress causing business. And I got you 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code WIZARDS for your discount. That's promo code WIZARDS for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're effing amazing and you won't regret joining their squad. Along those lines, Ava Wallace, our guest last week, so if you haven't checked that episode out, please do that, reported that the team is not looking to make a costly trade just to try to make a playoff run this year, that they don't want to do anything that would sort of um, jeopardize their longer-term prospects. Uh, is that the right move, Larry, or do you try to go all in to to make a playoff run here?
1: I mean, at, at this point, with you know with so many players and so many you know hidden gems out there, it's tough to say that we have to wait and stand pat because there's good players everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there's players that's fitted to you know different systems. There's there's just a number of just opportunities that you have to do your job to make sure that you're, you know, putting the best group together every year and not be concerned with. You don't want to give up the house. Don't get me wrong, sure. but you want to go for it mm-hmm. because, again, like we talked about earlier, I mean, you have Brad on your team, who's a guy that's trying to figure out, you know, what my next move is. I mean, if we're going to stay here because we're working towards a championship, or we're not because. We're concerned about things that are out of our control. So I think you go for it. I mean, without, obviously, you know, you got Brad, so you're not giving up Brad if you're going for it. Uh, I think everybody else is, you know, just a part of part of the plan to, to make it to the playoffs and win a championship. So, so in short, Matt, you know, let's go for it. I mean, let's see if there's an opportunity there. And if it doesn't make sense, you know, overall, then we turn it down. But let's not say that we're not, you know, exploring, you know, those things that could help us out towards the end of the season.
2: Yeah. I think all the reporting has been based on where they're at salary cap wise, that any move they made would be like really modest around the margins. I'm sort of in the middle of the two options. I, I think, you know, like, like you said, I would not give up the farm to do something this year considering that they still have an uphill battle, but you know, if you could get yourself a starting caliber wing or center, uh, without giving up, you know, this year's first round pick and Rui and things like that. Like, I'm, I'm all for doing something. Like, this team needs something to shake it up.
1: Yeah, or you got to start talking about, let's let's talk about our 10 days. Are, are there any guys that we could bring in for a 10 day? You can kind of get a look. Maybe they may not stick this year, but it may be an opportunity to, to, to bring them back, you know, to training camp for the next year. But let's start a process where we are, you know, identifying or getting – you know, quality guys into the system that may be on a short situation, a short deal or, you know, looking for an opportunity. These guys that are playing in the NBA or playing in the G League, these guys are really good. Mm-hmm. And a top team is is playing, you know, eight players, you know, nine players. So they're just a lot of guys that aren't seeing any action that if you're building a team, you're putting pieces together. Barring I don't have all of the salary cap information in front of me, but I'm just talking about just Mm-hmm. You know, that process of of making sure that you're doing everything that's possible to try to, to be a contending team. I mean, and that's really, you know, when I'm in an NBA jersey, that's my mindset is that I want to be in a situation where I can contend. It may not be for the championship, but I'm contending for a spot for something that somebody else wants. So I'm looking at everything, man. I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I think that that should be something that, that the Wizards look at, you know, especially now with, with, with 10 days being you know open.
2: Yeah, if you're Tommy Shepard, you don't hang the phone up on anybody. Like there's no downside to hearing them out kind of across the board here. Uh, it, the kind of conventional wisdom was that uh, Wagner, Troy Brown, Bunga, and Robinson were sort of the guys most likely on the table. And then maybe you say an ish for salary filler or, or something like that. Uh, it sounds like Wagner and Troy Brown Jr. are the two sort of getting most interest from other teams. Do you expect to see either or both of those guys moved?
1: Well, it, it, that makes sense because obviously with Ish being hurt, he, he was playing well before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And he is a guy that that on a, a good team can come in and change the pace, um, can come in and pick up, you know, full court. Uh, and then Mo, we talked about Mo being one of those guys. So, yes, that makes sense. A, a team that's, again, trying to contend that are looking for pieces that supplement everything that they have going on. I mean, those, those two guys, I mean, their names, you know, would stick out. And so it's, it's not a, a huge shocker to me.
2: That's the one that drives me the craziest because, you know, we've been a very pro Mo Wagner podcast overall, and, and we've liked what he's given. He's totally out of the rotation right now. You know, it just drives me a little extra crazy that other teams seemingly value what he brings, but he can't play for a team that desperately needs an active mobile center. So, so that one, like, I'm cringing as I say it a little bit.
1: Yeah, and that may have to do with philosophy, and you know, just the, the players that are actually on the team, how the you know how the buildup of the players are, you know, that are on the turn on the team currently, and you know, just seeing and identifying other situations where. And that's his agent's job, man. I I know Mo probably loves and is saying all the right things, but I'm sure he's not content with, with, you know, with not being in the lineup. So that's for him to figure out. But I I do think, and I'm not surprised that he's a guy, his name will come up, especially, you know, with the things that he brings to the table for, for a team that's trying to win.
2: I might be sort of imagining this a little bit. So somebody correct me if they've noticed otherwise, but. I've, I've the towel waving from Mo has stood out a little less recently. I just think at a certain point when you don't play for weeks, it's probably hard to, you know, to be as amped on the sideline if you know you're not going to get in the game.
1: It's tough and when you're going back and forth. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, that that's tough because, I mean, we all have expectations of ourselves and we all want to go out and compete. And like I said, this, this, it, it, I didn't plan it this way to have, you know, be pro Mo. I mean, it's just, sure. You know, what we see, you know, the things that he brings to the table, the, the the number of years that I've been around guys that, you know, have his certain qualities or that don't have his certain qualities and understand how they help uh, a, a team, you know, kind of move forward, whether it's a grit and grind situation, or whether it's a fast-paced, flashy situation. I think that certain guys help certain situations out. And I don't know, man. I just feel like he he helps the – helps the energy helps the morale of of, of the situation so i'm just a little confused on that
2: yeah i I totally agree with you and and i feel like i've been doing this long enough at least as a fan to to get a sense for when you can just kind of tell from certain guys like you know that this dude like is really hungry like he wants it when you hear mo talk everything he says is is what you want to hear and and that could obviously be polish and media training and, and all that stuff but his teammates seem to support that. And there are certain guys that they don't mention in the same way. And I I think that speaks the most volumes. Like Brad does not need to mention that Mo busted his ass in practice all week. You know, like that he's doing that probably says something about it. But either way, kind of putting you on the spot a little bit here, Larry, can you think of a situation in your career where a guy came in on like a 10 day or a call up or any of those kinds of things? Obviously the, the G League wasn't as prevalent in your days but when a guy sort of got introduced to the mix late or even through a trade and like really made sort of like a big difference for for the team you were on Um, let's see and i'll give you a second to think about that because i always wonder about this because we talk so much about buyouts and guys like that but rarely do they come in and i think seem to have like the noticeable impact on the court you know that they want. It's a lot of times it ends up being the good teams just sort of bolstering depth or you know those sort of things to to like battle toughen them for for a playoff run.
1: You know what? There, there's not necessarily a, a player that I can think about you know off the top, and I and I do think that it was more geared towards the second round picks mm-hmm. versus you know kind of the the G leagues or the or the sure. ten day contracts. So I'm just trying to go through my my teammates that were second round picks that I you know, I think had a, you know, a really good impact on on the team. And I don't have that for you right now, Matt, but that is a good question. But I do think that these opportunities, when you have guys that come in, you know, in the second round or, um, you know, come in from the G League or, you know, having their team coming in from, you know, from overseas for that matter, uh, their perspective is different. And their understanding of it can all be over is different. And they tend to go a little bit harder. Um, And the, the name escapes me. Douglas, maybe Tony Douglas.
2: Yeah, that uh, from Florida State.
1: From Florida State, uh, was in New York uh, when I was in New York, and he was a guy that was again one of these Ish Smith guys that yeah. was a disruptor. It's going to pick up, you know, full court. It's going to have a really tough, really rugged game. But he's the guy that also started to shoot the basketball well in New York because of Dan Tony's system and. You know the number of shots that he would get up. So he's a guy that just jumps out in my mind as a, I believe he was a second round pick, but he was a guy that brought a different sort of perspective to what we were doing. Right? I mean, when you come in and when you come in from a level of not necessarily knowing if, if you're going to be there tomorrow and you get a chance to play in the NBA, I mean they they come with a different sort of you know just sort of action that they, that they bring to the table.
2: Yeah. when you talk about like what a G league salary really is like compared to an NBA minimum, it's an insane difference. Uh, So, you know, these guys are, are willing to go at people to stick around for as long as possible because that call up a second 10 day, even, you know, you're, you're doubling, tripling, quadrupling your your money that you've made for the year. It's not insignificant to, to those sort of Fringe guys. I don't mean that it's like a pejorative term, but you know, like the, those are the guys that are that are sort of just on the cusp there. The, the guy uh, this sort of springs to mind from last year's team, though, is is those sort of first five games of of Gary Payton the second last year. He came in and like almost instantly started because he was just like the one guy that was going to guard on the perimeter. And he just won uh you know G League defensive player of the year. I, I haven't seen him called up to an NBA team. And that's maybe a guy I'm looking at. He knows your personnel and and obviously the perimeter defense on on the Wizards could could use a little uh influx of of feistiness at the moment.
1: It's it's a combination of those guys, Matt. It's it's a combination of those guys that, you know, play the flashy game, and then it's a combination of those guys that come from a different space. And that's not going to give you an inch, P.J. Tucker. I mean, these are guys that come from just a, a, a different sort of mindset. And you need those guys. And I got a name as well that's, that's a new guy to college. He's from St. Louis, and he's been jumping around on a few 10 days, played really well uh, in, in the G League bubble But Tyler Cook mm-hmm. uh, out, of, out of Iowa. I mean, he's a guy that we're just waiting on him to get his chance, waiting on him to get his shot. Um, and obviously you have to wait on something to happen whether it be an injury or something has to go on for him to get a shot. But that's a guy that I think once he gets his opportunity can make an impact. And you talk about the size of being six, eight um, can roll to the basket can be a force. I mean, that's, that's another guy that I would take a look at, you know, just to see, you know, if he can help, you know, be one of those guys.
2: I wasn't super familiar. Like I watch enough college basketball to, to know the name, but I watched a good amount of the G league bubble and, he was tough, man. I, 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 that's that's actually a really good call. I didn't realize he was um, a St. Louis guy. So so that would be uh, be nice to have another St. Louis guy in the hood here too.
1: Yeah. Well, he's not. All, he also went to Shamanade as well. So he was also Jason Tatum's uh, teammate in, uh, in yeah. high school. Also,
2: that's a pretty good high school team.
1: Yeah. Oh, no doubt. <laughs>
2: Okay, welcome into Believe in Wizards. Uh, as always, I'm Matt, he's Larry, and today we're joined by Pat Crossan, the uh, team manager for Wizards District Gaming, the reigning NBA 2K League champion. Pat, thanks for joining us.
0: Matt, Larry, uh, you know, thanks for having me on. Can't wait to talk about you know, the 2K League, uh, our season last year, and you know, we just had the draft come up, so appreciate it.
2: Uh, for anybody that, that doesn't know or, or might be sort of less familiar, what is the NBA 2K League and, and sort of how does it work?
0: That's a great question. So the NBA 2K League is, you know, the NBA decided to get into esports, and esports is competitive video gaming. Um, so they have a very successful video game that they already make with the NBA, NBA 2K. Uh, as many people probably know, if especially if they love basketball, um, so the NBA saw that there was this huge boom, you know, in esports industry, and they obviously realized that a lot of people play the video game NBA 2K. Uh, so they wanted to to kind of get into that business, and so about three years ago. Uh, They wanted to create a league and it's basically, you know, 5v5 Pro-Am is what they called it. And that was the game version in NBA 2K, the retail version. Um, And so you could play with, you know, four of your friends online against other teams and compete. And there were leaderboards. And um, actually before the league was started, the Take-Two Interactive, the company who makes 2K, held two $250,000 tournaments, you know, for you and your buddies to join and play. And I actually competed and unfortunately didn't win. Uh, the 250,000 of my friends, but that was kind of like the starting point of how they got into it. Um, The NBA saw that it was, you know, very popular and they decided, hey, let's make the league out of this. Uh, We're going to go to NBA teams and see if they want to be involved. So we have about 22 NBA teams and then we have one non-NBA team in our league, Gen G Tigers. Um, So we compete, you know, against each other for, you know, championships, there's tournaments, there's, you know, $1.5 million in prize money the players can win, um so yeah I guess that's kind of like the basic overview of what uh the 2k league is
1: so is is that what what brought you to the the 2k league is the big bank I mean that's that's some (laughs) nice coins you're talking about there
0: it is it is well you know I've always loved basketball growing up and I played in high school and all that so uh, obviously I'm five foot eight so my you know basketball career was not going to go much further than that but uh you know, I picked up the game after that, competed in college, you know, got my degree. Uh, the NBA announced this league and I was like, if there was any way that I could be involved, um, you know, would love to do that because not many people had experience playing in competitive tournaments and leagues. And, um, you know, I was actually halfway through the process of uh, becoming a player when I had a couple teams reach out to me about, you know, coaching and managing jobs and the Wizards offered me. And I, it was an opportunity I felt like I couldn't pass up.
1: Well, well, talk to us a little bit about. I mean, the, the the training regiment that would go into something like that. I mean, once you're picked and you're identified as, you know, one of those guys that can compete, like what goes into the the training and preparation process?
0: Yeah, so it's pretty unique. You know, it, it, taking players from playing in their parents' basement, as I like to joke about, to you know, coming into market. You know, all these players have to fly into wherever they're drafted, so they come to DC. Um, you know, we pay for their housing. We pay for their travel when we go to New York. In a non-COVID world, we actually play in New York um, in a studio in like Manhattan. Um, and for us, we have a practice space downtown right by Capital One Arena. And so we're playing probably in the beginning of the season, eight to 12 hours. I would say 12 is probably like the max. Uh, so it's a little different. Like in the NBA, you can you know only go a certain amount of hours before your body like starts to you know get a little tired. But for us, Uh, We don't have those issues. The only issues we have to worry about are obviously mental wise, you know, if guys are staying locked in the whole time. But um, as for gaming, I mean, you could play eight hours a day and and sometimes you don't even realize it's eight hours if you're, you know, highly focused and locked in. So, um, you know, I'd say we probably practice about five to six, you know, five to six days a week Uh, in the beginning, you know, eight, like you said, eight to 12 hours a day. That's obviously broken up by scrims, film and uh, just maybe meetings with the team and scouting reports and all that stuff. So um, as the season progresses, we'll probably go a little bit shorter on those times, just because, you know, at some point you, it's probably more about quality over quantity, but um, it's kind of just a basic overview of uh, our practice schedule.
2: You go through a lot of eye drops for me. If I was going to play <laughs> eight hours of video games, I would need some eye drops.
0: Yeah. So I'm actually doing that myself now. I'm learning to take care of my eyesight. You know, I got a uh, special gaming glasses for blue light, you know, computer screens and, and eye drops and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, we have team doctors, a great team at MedStar that, that helps the guys if they ever need anything. Luckily we haven't yet knock on wood, but uh, we know they're there if we ever need them. When you practice, <laughs> is it against the computer? Like how
2: do you, how do you run through what you wanna run through?
0: Yeah, so we, mostly for us, we just scrimmage other uh, 2K league teams. So okay. usually teams that aren't on our schedule, upcoming, or you know maybe we don't play in our schedule at all. Um, so that's kind of how we we work into it. And then also we do a lot of film breakdown, you know, scrimmages or upcoming opponents, past opponents, um, and you know just have scouting reports for the guys. Go over analytics. That's a big thing for us too. So um, just kind of like everything I'm sure traditional basketball does. Uh, you know, playing the computer is a little bit different because obviously they can't replicate some of the things that, you know, humans would do uh, as far as the video game goes. But, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of the overview, too.
1: So you, you guys have a, you know, have a style of, of play that, you know, that is attractive to obviously, you know, the people that are watching, but also the people that you are, um, you know, drafting or bringing onto the team. Like, what's your style of, of play um, with this team?
0: Uh, so I think for us, especially last year, we, we really uh, kind of got into the defensive end of basketball. And, and, you know, it was making good rotations, playing good team defense. Um, guys knew where they should be. You knew when to trap, when not to trap. Um, and that kind of led to like almost a grit and grind kind of style. There you go. Uh, I'd say half court is, you know, we're a little slower paced, more methodical. Um, if we're able to get out on the break from our defense, that's that's just a positive. We had probably one of the best, Uh, fast break offenses in the league last year. Um, So just making people, you know, kind of get in their own head in the defensive end and make them, you know, get some easy turnovers, get out on the fast break and, you know, take advantage of that. Um, I would say we, we didn't win too many team awards for, you know, defense, but as a whole, we had, I mean, we were statistically number one or two or three in almost every defensive category last year. So I think that was a big positive for our guys.
1: So, are there some real life game strategies that you could, you know, give to the, you know, to the guys that are running up and down the court, uh, being the the Washington Wizards? Um, Is there any sort of strategies that you can give those guys on the defense of the ball?
0: (laughs) So, I think there is. You know, it's definitely hard because it also is a video game, so not everything really translates over very well, um, you know, to virtual and then to real life. So, we do take some concepts of. you know traditional basketball try to work them into our own but 2k you know 2k league and the 2k players have their own lingo so they kind of make things theirs and they just try to to run with them in their certain way um you know we do certain cuts here or there we have certain plays off ball movements um things of that nature just rotation wise knowing where to be I, I think that's a big thing too in the nba like knowing if you know someone's helping out someone then you got to pick up for them um so there are some things but it is also hard to translate because this is a video game so not everything you can do in in a virtual world you know you can do in real life and vice versa
2: i think you nailed it larry for for fans <laughs> listening to this if you want to watch a washington basketball team that plays defense this these are your guys
0: <laughs> you said that not me man uh, yeah we don't want to get you in trouble that, yeah. that was all
2: us So so just to clarify these guys are playing as you know, unique uh, original players, right? That I couldn't go on and play as Larry Hughes if I wanted to, right?
0: Yeah, so for us, you know, you can create your own player in the retail version of the game and and for our league too. Um, So, you know, they can put a headband on, put, you know, shooting sleeve on, whatever they want to do cosmetically to their player, it's it's their player. Um, They want to make their player look like themselves. There is a face scanning, you know, aspect of it. You can scan your face in there. If not, you can just create one. from that aspect, you know, we're not playing a, as Bradley Beal. We're not playing as, you know, Russell Westbrook. It's it's the creative players of the um, the players on our team. And there is a base overall element. So generally they have like everyone's a 92 overall uh, for their players. So 92 overall point guard, 92 overall shooting guard and so forth. And then from that, you can pick like certain archetypes they're called. So one player might be more of a passing point guard um, one player might be more of a you know scoring point guard. One player might be more of a defensive point guard. So there's some strategy involved in, in selecting those archetypes and, and kind of setting up the team.
1: So are, are you guys making trades and, and cuts and things of that nature as well?
0: So we don't, we don't have any free agents. We don't have uh, cuts or signings like that. Um, there are trades in the league. And so the, the two ways you can get players are through the draft and through trades if essentially you needed to.
1: So on, on your squad, what gets someone traded?
0: I just, I think that it's just not conforming to the culture that we have set up. And that's a very open culture. You know, we're very honest with each other um, in the practice room and after games, you know, whether it's win or loss, um, you know, if you have something to say to each other, uh, you know, none of us take it personally. And I think that that's one of the things I've always wanted to have um, from a player standpoint is that, you know, if they felt a certain type of way that they were allowed to speak their their mind and their peace and, you know none of them take it a certain way if they have an adjustment that needs to be made or or anything like that. I think that's what made us really good last year is that the guys really were able to talk to each other and and we didn't see our losses or or failures as final. You know, they were kind of like stepping stones in, in, in the season, you know, it led to a championship. So it worked out well for us last year.
2: Larry, how many fights, more fights would you have had, but amongst teammates, if you guys had to practice eight hours a day together?
1: Oh man, you think we get tired of each other just seeing, you know, one time or two times a day for a couple hours man that's like you like live with these guys you know playing in the NBA so I couldn't imagine being around you know a teammate for eight hours in one setting.
0: Yeah you're with them eight hours and then you go home and you know some of them are your roommates so you're still around them and you know it, it, it is tough and we've, we've definitely learned that pretty early on um, you know my first season that chemistry is you know extremely important in this league and. Uh, last year we were blessed with that, even with everything else going on in the world.
1: And Pat, are, are men and women participating in in the league, or the, you know, are they, are they in the same team, or is it all women's team versus all men's team? How does that line up?
0: So that's the great thing about esports is you know you don't have to be a six foot eight you know athlete to dunk a basketball. It's literally open for anyone, men or women. Uh, we do have a couple of women that were drafted this year in the in the two K league. There were two drafted: one to the Celtics, one to the Mavs. Uh, we had, you know, Chiquita, she was on the Warriors season two. So, you know, it's wide open and, you know, over the years I've seen the women community in the 2K League uh, grow tremendously. So, you know, it's one of the things we're, we're trying to push. We're trying to help them. Um, the 2K League does a great job. They have women in gaming camps. Um, you know, we did some in the fall. We did one, one big one in February that I was involved with coaching them. So, um, you know that's the great thing about esports is you know it really is for everyone as long as you have the stick skills to play at this level then you know you can play at this level
1: yeah man sorry for all the questions man but i mean i don't play video games so this is intriguing to me just to understand you know how people actually you know make a living out of these things and it's still fun for them so sorry about all the you know stepping in uh too fast for you man that's that's what i'm here for
2: right. uh and this, i think this is why we, we definitely want to have you on because this is a this is a huge, growing, emerging market, and I don't think enough people sort of understand, you know, how big that is. You hear some of the money being thrown around with some of these like League of Legends leagues and yeah. and uh, you know Ninja and, and guys like that, and, and it's just it's huge. Um, and I, I think the Wizard specifically or, or Monumental Sports is has made a pretty big investment in that. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have uh, you know a, an owner that's supportive to to what you guys are working to?
0: Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is we, you know, we feel very supported over here. Uh, you know, from Ted and Zach, we know this. Um, you know, they kind of started monumental basketball too uh, was that I feel like a year ago or two years ago. Um, so, you know, with monumental basketball, all of the team operations are kind of under one house. Uh, we kind of have a shared services situation. So, you know, for us last year, we actually had the number one draft pick. Uh, so you never want to mess up the number one draft pick. Right. So, Luckily for us, you know, we had Tommy Shepard and his team kind of help us and what they do, preparing for prospects, preparing for, you know, the draft. Um, So we took a lot of what they did and and we kind of made it our own and, and, you know, used, you know, team psychologists that does the draft for them. So we, we wanted to learn like what goes into making, you know, a competitive athlete. Um, we used the background checks so we had those done from all the number one you know prospects that we kind of identified and we really went into it 110 percent because you know you, like i said you don't want to mess up that number one pick that's very important and obviously for us last year it worked out since we won the championship but uh you know just learning from them what they do and what they look for 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 players and, and their mentality because um, obviously it's different you know stick skill wise they they probably don't know too much about the game themselves but um, they know what goes into making a, a competitive athlete and a competitive team. So we, we took that from them and, you know, it's worked out well and we're going to keep continuing to use those resources anytime we can get. Going from number one pick to champion
2: is a, is a pretty good turnaround. So I, I'd say you uh, mission accomplished there.
0: Yeah, how many times has that happened in, you know, professional sports history? I, I think, I guess, Magic Johnson, right? He was drafted one and I think the Lakers won that year. I, that's the only, reason, the, the only name that I can really think of. It's a pretty good company to be in. <laughs> yeah.
1: What did, what did that number one pick bring to the table that put you guys over over the top?
0: Yeah, so uh, our number one pick was JBM, uh, Jack Mascone. He's from New York. He's a point guard. Uh, we didn't really have a point guard, you know, that could do what he did. And he is uh, as good as the scorer he is. He's an even better facilitator. And, um, you know, a lot of people can score in 2K from the point guard spot, but the facilitating aspect and, you know, knowing... You know reading defenses and making the right reads is uh criminally underrated skill um so from that aspect from him we absolutely loved um and, and this year you know he's just a game head like he'll show up in big games um i remember we were in game was it four or five of the the finals and he had probably like 25 out of 26 points going into halftime so so when the money's on the line. We like to say Jack shows up and, and he shows out and, you know, you just, you just have to watch the show at that point.
2: Uh, you recently just had uh, the draft in the last week, I believe. Um, can you tell us a little bit about one, how the draft process works and two, uh, you know, who'd you get and and how do you feel about what they add to the team?
0: Yeah, so, so fortunate. Uh, I guess we have to go back a little bit farther. Uh, but just because of league retainment rules, you're not allowed to keep, you know, your whole team obviously we won the championship. So we would have uh, loved to keep all, all of our six players. You know, we do have a sixth uh, player, you know, just as a substitution for if we ever need it. So going into the draft, we, will, we were able to retain four players. So we had a draft, essentially two, two new players on the team. We had the 23rd and the 59th pick. One of our players actually got drafted eight to the Lakers. So we're going to miss him. Reese, he's been with us since the first season. So, you know, excited to watch him kind of lead the Lakers team who wasn't the best overall the past couple of years. Uh, we're gonna miss him dearly. But uh, you know, for us at 23, we we needed to find a good player to kind of fit our culture, also have some, you know, stick skills themselves and, and be talented in that aspect. Uh so you know, 23 we drafted a power forward. His name is Exo LeBron. Good company to be in. Yeah, I know it's it's funny because that's actually his last name is LeBron. So <laughs> it is a good company to be in um you know he's an older guy he's played on one of the most successful uh teams in, in you know in the off season was like we like to call it um they have won you know plenty of championships in the off season leagues and tournaments so for him to come on bring that winning attitude also be really talented uh power forward really good defensively since that's kind of our bread and butter last year was uh, a, a big plus for us and then at 59, our, our last pick in the draft, we actually brought back our, our sixth player, uh, B. Rich, Brandon Richardson, um, just because he, he did a lot for us last season. Not a lot of people saw on the court. Uh, you know, he was pushing guys in practice. You know, basically our starters could never take a day off because they knew Brandon was breathing down their neck, looking for playing time. So that, that kind of, uh, you know, competitive uh, atmosphere, atmosphere that he created was uh, really essential to a lot of the starters, you know, having to take their game to the next level.
2: Do guys have like maximum endurance so that they can play an entire game, and you don't need to sub people out and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, so there's no substitutions in our league yet. Maybe one day there will be, um, but you know, the five that you essentially start with, you're gonna you're gonna finish with. Yeah, they have like a certain energy mm-hmm. bar, so you do have to conserve it in some areas, you know, during the game. So there's kind of like a little strategy there, but usually it's not a big deal, too much, unless you're a point guard and you're carrying the ball every possession, and you know you're putting the offense on your back.
2: Well, like a guy can't get hurt, and you need to sub him out or anything, right?
0: No, and luckily it's not happened yet. So hopefully we don't get to that point, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it will happen. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. You know, it's it's sports. You always have to expect the unexpected sometimes. So, Pat,
1: when when does the league start back up again, and how can can we watch?
0: It's a good question. So, the league is actually we should be getting the guys here in a couple weeks. I think so. We'll start training camp in like two three weeks um excuse me and then i want to say the first week of may is going to be you know our first preseason tournament and then we'll go into our league games and um so we have about like 16 regular season games we have uh three tournaments in the season the first one's preseason the second one's like a mid-season tournament and then the last tournament is actually for all teams not in the playoffs and it is for that last spot in the playoffs so Mm -hmm. if you win that tournament you get the last spot in the playoffs, which is pretty unique. I know the NBA's probably talked about that a little bit. And, you know, we're kind of like the uh, the test subjects for that, you know, that situation. Um, but you can watch us on twitch.tv slash NBA 2K League. We're also on YouTube as well. Um, NBA 2K League. You just look up their YouTube. Um, I'm trying to think. We run ESPN2 last year, um, just because I know sports wasn't. So they had a. Luckily, we we were still able to have our league and, and, you know, it kind of worked out that way. So hopefully we're, we're back there again. But, um, you know, those are the, probably the main forms of uh, viewership that you can you can watch on.
2: If people want to come watch in person, is there an option for that during, you know, normal non-COVID years?
0: So there is. So, yeah, we do play in a studio in New York and in Manhattan. Um, you know, you, you could have, they could have fans there in a non-COVID year. Hopefully we get to that point again. We, we definitely miss having fans and who knows? Maybe one day we'll have a uh, a tournament in DC. We actually we're we're gonna have one last year. Mm-hmm. We were actually gonna bring a couple teams to play here, and you know I think we we're gonna play at Saint E's, um, you know the arena, and mm-hmm. you know that would have been an awesome experience to get some fans involved and you know hopefully you start following us. But we'll we'll get back there one day. I
2: like it. Yeah, keep us posted along the way. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, oh yeah, just- we 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 gotta have you, you both of you guys there. You know you gotta bring everyone in and. You know, support the team we'll, we'll get you some gear we'll hook you up and you'll be with fans for the rest of your life right I, I like rooting for a local winner i take it
1: <laughs> I, i'm in count me in all right
0: uh just last
2: question i got for you here um you know for me I, I stopped being a relevant video game player by the time like dual joysticks got introduced so like the n64 days were the last days i was competitive uh, uh you know at anything for, for anybody that I don't know, dismisses this as, as you know, not sort of a, a big deal. Like, can you tell them a little bit, like how much skill it takes to get good at this and like the guys that you have, like how good they actually are and, and kind of let people know what, what that process is like for somebody to get to this point?
0: Yeah, we get that a lot. And, you know, you have a lot of people saying, oh, I could do what they do. And, you know, I could step on the court. And then you play these guys and you realize you you don't have a shot with them. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, when I was in the process of being a player and also, you know, applying to the team manager jobs, I was working, you know, 50 hours a week at a job. And then I was coming home and I was playing another 40 hours. So it's just like a full-time job. And some of these guys play the game 60, 80 hours a week just because they love it, like, especially in the off season. There's a lot of leagues and tournaments, uh, and smaller cash prizes they can win. But, um, you know, we do look for game heads for our team. So we look for guys who, you know, even when we're not practicing, they're going to go home, they're going to watch film. Uh, they're going to play the game a little bit at their apartments, maybe just lab for, you know, in a court by themselves for, you know, an hour or so. Um, I mean, they put in a ton of, ton of work, and especially in, in six months for our, our short season, you know, you're playing every day and you don't get much time off because it is such a short season and, and we do have games every week and tournaments every week. Um, so we really have to be on point point. we have to make sure that everyone's, you know, ready to go at a moment's notice, essentially. Um So especially last year, I mean, we were pretty much stuck in our apartments and, you know, we, we, from the day we got, you know, from the moment we got up to the, you know, when the sun went down, it it was just, we were playing all day and we were talking 2K and, and, you know, working through it. So, um, you know, the, the ton of hours that these guys put in is, uh, you know, you have to respect it because they want to be the best at what they do. And, you know, that's what we were were able to achieve uh, last season. Very cool.
2: You'll have to give us some tips along the way. And, and, and Larry's a bit of a film junkie, so maybe he can get in on one of these film sessions.
0: Yeah, we can get you in the film room, Larry. You can teach these guys, you know, what you look for. We'd love that.
1: Hey, hey, man, I'm interested to see how you guys break the film down. You know I mean, just, you know, I, like, like Matt said, I love film. And just seeing it from another angle, from a virtual space, I mean, I'm interested to see what that, you know, looks and feels like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and our guys, you know, we have a couple of players who I think they just go home, they watch film instead of watching TV, and they just yeah. keep it on all, all night. So, you know, you got to have those players who, you know, love the game when they're in practice or when they're out of practice. Again, this
2: was Patrick Crossan, the team manager for Wizards District Gaming. The reigning NBA champs just had their, their draft, and we look forward to following you along the way. Um, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it.
0: Matt and Larry appreciate you guys, you know, talking about the 2K League, learning a little bit about ourselves, and, you know, hopefully we got you guys as fans for, you know, this upcoming season and the future seasons we have. Counts
1: in. Oh, definitely, for sure.
2: Uh, Larry, just, just switching gears here a little bit, I just finished the uh, Kevin Garnett autobiography in, in the last week or two, and one of the things that was, I was just sort of stood out to me and was a little curious about, uh garnett mentioned some of these aau teams that he played on where guys were flying him across the country you know he played on a team in california with paul pierce and stuff like that uh any loaded aau teams that you played on in in your days or any teams that you played against or or any of those kinds of things i'm always curious like what the sort of you know who played with who and where the connections were
1: yeah um well our st louis guys we pretty much stuck together and if we're talking our, you know, our 17U time, I mean, we were, were really, really good. Uh, I think we had 13 players on that team. 11 players went, you know, high D1. Oh, okay. um, so we had a really good team. But, yeah, no, that stuff was, was definitely going on, um, you know, back then. And I can remember uh, playing against Riverside out of New York. And it was uh, Eldon Brand. Oh, geez. Uh, it was Ron Artest. It was uh, Eric Barkley, guy that didn't necessarily make it, but he was a crazy. He was a beast. Uh, Estebal, or something. He was. He was a, a, a foreign guy. Can't really remember his name.
2: Was Lamar Odom uh, on that team?
1: Lamar, I, he no, he was. He wasn't on. He wasn't on that team during that time. But okay. I think he did play with those guys during that stretch. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Uh, who else was on that team? Um, a couple of guys who went to St. John's, uh, but no, but that was a really, that was a really stacked team back there in, uh, you know, 96, 97. And that was the, that was our battle. Like that was a team that we would, you know, would see at a few different tournaments and know that there was no way in hell that we would, we would uh, beat these guys. I think we beat them maybe one time, uh, during that stretch, but that was the toughest team that I faced, you know, in, in my you know, a- AAU days. But also, obviously, with guys being the same age, I mean, uh, Shane Battier out of Detroit, I mean, they had a really good, you know, good AAU team, and I know they flew players in. Um, but, yeah, being in the Midwest, we didn't necessarily go out or sure. we didn't bring people in, you know, during that time.
2: I I'm, I'm only remember uh, Pierce and Garnett specifically, but their list of guys that they had was outrageous.
1: Well, yeah, it was Chauncey. It was no. Steph. Uh, it was Tim Thomas. Yeah, that
2: was, yep. yep. Tim Thomas yeah, it was, on
1: there. It might have been, a, it even been Jermaine O'Neal some. So okay. these guys were all the same, you know, just kind of traveling around, you know, playing with each other and playing against each other. And it didn't, you know, really buried each weekend on which team they would be playing on. But I remember those, those guys, because obviously we're just a couple years uh, older than me, but yeah, all those guys were grouped together and playing, you know, in different circuits together and, and, and everything.
2: Yeah, stuff like that fascinates me too because i mean obviously the aau scene is still really good now but it just some of these were like nba all-star teams um and i feel like you don't see that the same way uh these days
1: yeah man it's it's some good history when you talk about you know back in the, back in those days when when aau basketball was was really the the, the prime target and you did not have the circuits the shoe circuit basketball going on mm-hmm. it was really just everything was really aau so now is everything is kind of spread out, so different talent is is all around the place. But when you're talking AAU, like like everybody played AAU, so at some point in time you're we going to run into, um, you know, those top players from from different uh, different areas. And one of the one of the programs that may have been mentioned in that, I definitely know uh, a ARC, which is out of California, and they would bring players in. I know Paul played with them a few times. Um, two guys with a jerry curl i can't remember their name but they played it, it was crazy man hey you back then uh it's definitely bring a smile to my face uh
2: this is kind of a, a random name and, and maybe a blast for the past for some but was shea cotton your general age range larry yes
1: yeah, shea cotton was was in our our grade he may have been a he was always a man child. He was always like bigger, stronger. So we didn't know shit if he was older than us, younger than us, like <laughs> two years younger. To, I mean, two years older, three years. We didn't know. But he Shea played was like
2: four years up every year too. Like
1: Yeah, man. And he was crazy. I mean, it was, you know, I could remember being in uh, the, the Nike tournament or the Nike, the Nike camp and we would have our dorms and then there was a gym that we would go to. So we would have to walk, you know, maybe a couple minutes or five to 10 minutes to, to the gym from, from our dorms or from the, you know, our, our eating place. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy, man, I mean, being, you know, 16, he was a guy that had his jumpers on, you know, those, um, the, 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 discs that, that the help calf, your vertical
2: calf lifts or whatever. Yeah, you know. he,
1: he had those on, he had a weighted vest on and he would not walk with the group to the gym. Mm-hmm. He would run. So Shay was a guy that was, yeah, I mean, he was, he was an animal back then, but he would not walk with the group, man. He would put on everything, all of his gear. And that 10-minute walk, he would run it. And, you know, back and forth every day, he'd never walked with the group. And he was he was obviously a, a man-child, you know, among boys. It's just crazy that it didn't pan out for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, you hear guys like him and, like, the Lenny Cooks and things like that that were, were big names in, in those age groups. How did those right. guys not work out, Larry? Is that just sort of bad was, luck, uh, a multitude of factors, like?
1: yeah yeah its too much too early, mm-hmm. and you know as i know the you know the landscape of of obviously making it to to the top of that you know that mountain that's making it to play professional to to be paid to to play a sport it's like these guys are too good too early, and you know when I'm developing when i'm talking to my son i i say hey we want to be great late mm-hmm. like it, it it doesn't it for us, for them to talk about us in eighth grade or ninth grade it, it doesn't do us any good right mm-hmm. so with that process with those guys they were too great early and that they got all of their accolades and it was you know people wanting to come in and give them things that kind of took them off of their path of, of being successful and they had too much early on and, and that really uh, that really hurt them you know later on
2: I feel like you don't see that as much nowadays where the guys are like as big a names early that don't pay like even like a Felipe Lopez or somebody like these are guys that are on like the cover of Sports Illustrated and then, you know, never play a a minute in the NBA. I I feel like that happens less. Maybe the formula is a little better figured out or or something.
1: Well, it's so many of those guys as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, back then it was like one, two, three guys maybe that were, you know, the targets. Now, I mean, you got 20 kids. I mean, you know,
2: it's probably
1: 12 of them won't. You know even sniff the opportunity while the other eight do so you know the numbers look a little skewed but you know that's you know that's just like the changing of the times because now i mean you talk about programs identifying you know sixth grade kids that are 12 years old you know at this point and trying to track them all the way up to you know i guess 19 and that's a seven year span of you know grades girls gas yeah. you know and everything in between, you know, that most of them don't make it, you know, through that seven-year track. So it's tough for young people today, but they get so many opportunities and so many outlets, you have to kind of take the good with the bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, social media obviously changes the game there too. You know, there's probably only so many big names that could be reported on back in the day and stuff like that. But anyway, I I was reading through that, and I was like, all right, these guys I know are in Larry's general age. I I got to ask about this.
1: Nah, man, that was crazy to have Steph and, and Paul uh, and Chauncey and and KG, like those guys, like uh, Jermaine on there, like those guys were really running temp- Those guys were really running in the same circle, like they were friends, like they were hanging out with each other. The young people, they don't do that today because of social media, so they don't stay at each other's house and things like that. So it just it's just crazy to see that that number of kids, you know, back then actually made it you know, to the top. And they all have like a a slumber party story. I can, you know, I can bet that they all have a slumber party story with, with, with each and every one of them.
2: We we obviously had uh, Walt Williams on earlier in our podcast run to talk about the PG County uh, documentary. And there's a lot of great talent here locally. I just can't think of like that many clustered at the same time like that. You know, you had Michael Beasley and Kevin Durant being the same age group. Like that's that's the closest I can kind of come up with. Very cool. Uh, well, well, thanks for uh, indulging me on the memory lane there a little bit. Yes, sir. Uh, Larry, I think that's all I got for you. Any parting shots for, uh, for the fans here?
1: No, just, uh, you know, continue to to rate, review, subscribe to, to what we're doing. Obviously we have, you know, the ending of the season coming up and we want the Wizards to win as many games as possible give their staff a chance to put that playing game. So, continue to support the wizards in any way you can um, you know and hope for the for the best